0: Hi, Hurricane fans. Joe Zygacki here for UPS. Your customers want more from your business. You've got to make more happen, whether they're in Miami or on the other side of the world, globally or locally. UPS is building solutions to help businesses give their customers exactly what they want, more made easy. UPS, official logistics company of Miami Athletics.
1: We're a GA at West Virginia. We're a GA at Florida State. We'll we'll, we'll skip over that to move this thing along. And then you take a job at Concord University, which probably no one's heard of. It's Division II. You're the offensive line coach. Why is that where you wanted to start your career?
2: Or how is that where you started? It was my first offer. Uh, And I don't know how familiar people are with being a graduate assistant, but being a graduate assistant is not fun. Just for the fact of you're doing all the things the full-time coaches don't want to do. Uh, So you have that. Along with you are taking classes, you are trying to get your your grad degree. So I was fortunate enough to be able to get my grad degree. I had been a graduate assistant for three years. I was like, I just want to coach because there comes a point in time, just like anything you wanna take the next step. I've been in the classroom long enough as far as coaching. Now it's time for me to do it. And I'm gonna learn a lot more if I do it. And it just so happened that one of my friends, Mike Keller, got to Concord University head coaching job. Concord University was the closest college football program to my house. My mom graduated from school there my brother graduated from school there so much like West Virginia I mean of course I would like to have started at a higher level but um Concord University was perfect for me it was my first job offer and it was a chance for me to grow make mistakes develop my beliefs and not worry about people in the stands or on message boards judging whether or not I, I made the right decisions and um it allowed me to be a much better football coach and
1: two years later, you become the head coach. So how did that come to be? And how old are you when you get the head coaching job?
2: I was um, 28. Yeah, I was 28 when I got the head coaching job. And I'd gotten it because we, uh, when we arrived under Mike Keller as, as his staff, they were 1 in 21 to 2 years combined before we arrived, which is why, why a job's open. So Mike gets a job. We go 6 and 5 the first year with him, with the, the same team that was winless the year before. The following year, we go eight and three. So Mike leaves to go back to Cal PA and our administration is kind of looking around like, we can't mess this up. We've got too much of a good thing going on. I never had any, any envision for myself, any, I never envisioned being a head coach. And, but you're looking around the room and you're saying, okay, well, I don't know if I'm ready to be a head coach, but I don't know if I want that guy to be the head coach. And it's not any slight to them. It was just like, Hey, this is my opportunity. Like this is my chance to go, to go be a head coach. So I interviewed and, um, was able to get it from there. And it just was perfect timing, uh, right place at the right time. And it was, it was an experience that I'll forever have as far as what I've done.
1: in taking the job at Concord originally and then, t- and then going after the head coaching job, I guess, was your goal ultimately always to move up levels? And this is just where it was going to start. Or when you took the head coaching job, did you ever see yourself maybe navigating a different path?
2: You know, I always saw myself as a division 1 offensive line coach. If you ask me then what what's your next job, I would say division 1 offensive line coach. And of course I would have taken an, an FCS head coaching job, but head coaching jobs are hard to come by. And, and so, so are offensive line jobs, so our division one offensive line jobs, but again, it was, it was something I knew I always wanted to get back to being the O-line coach and the good and the bad part about being at division two schools, you don't have a lot of staffing. So the whole time I was the head coach at Concord, I was also the offensive line coach. So I never gave that up. Uh, I always maintained working with those guys and, and uh, again, that was invaluable experiences for my growth.
1: So uh, I asked this question to a lot of people when they just take on the next step in their career, what you think it was going to be versus what it became or what it was like, I'm going to be the head coach. I got to be this, 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 and this. And then you get the job and you're like, well, wait a second. No, it's that and that and that. That's what's more important about being a head coach. I had it wrong.
2: The thing you don't realize is when you become a head coach, you get further away from ball. And, and, and what I mean is, is you feel like you're just putting out fires. It's it's, hey, you got to manage the budget and this is your equipment and so-and-so missed class and so-and-so is late for workout and this coach is leaving. You have to replace him. Oh yeah, we have a recruiting weekend this weekend. And so, like, hey, I just want to talk about how are we blocking this protection to three down? So that was probably the biggest part. And, and you feel like the first three months is like, hey, I'm just putting out fires. Uh, I'm not even getting anything done. But that's why you have to hire good assistants, which I felt we were able to do at the time. Good assistants who are loyal to what we were doing. We're all pulling in the same direction. And assistants that I ultimately have to say, I have to delegate and say, you handle this. You do this. And, and you handle this. And, and Is that the- easy or hard, the delegating? It would have been really hard for me had I not worked for Coach Bowden, uh, just for the fact that I saw Coach Bowden delegate a lot, especially at the age he was at, and um, see him release control and trust his coaches to coach. That was a very, very valuable experience for me.
1: Did you have a moment, or I'm sure you had him, but a moment where you're like, man, I will never do that again. That was a mistake as a head coach. Like, it doesn't go in my notebook, it goes in the garbage.
2: I don't know if there's, there's a moment that just stands out right now. I always say, you know how like when you're playing the college football game growing up and you play dynasty mode? And you're like, oh, I'm going to build it. Like I was living dynasty mode. It's just for the fact of we got to get this position and we got to do that. And I don't want to say that it was a game to me because it was people's lives. But there was something fun and something special about the build. There was something fun with that and the mistakes you made along, along the way. And, and like I said, I did make a lot of mistakes and there's stuff I can learn from. I don't know if it's anything critical that just comes to mind right off the top of my head, but it, I was in an environment and I was in a place to where I was allowed to make those mistakes. I was allowed to mess up. I was allowed to try things and I didn't have to worry about the repercussions or how that would look publicly if I did those things.
1: I would imagine from a leadership standpoint, now that you, when you moved on to being a D1 coach and even being at, being at Miami, but any of the head coaches you work for, right? That when you sat in the chair, you're a better assistant coach because you understand what they're doing. You, may, you might agree, you may not agree, but you sympathize. You get it because you have been there and you know what's at stake and what they're thinking.
2: Yeah, and, and we're all tied together. It's like we talk about the no huddle offense, that was probably a hard decision for coach Diaz to hire red last year. It's easy decision. In the fact that we're going to score points, but it's a hard decision. in The fact that understand as a program, you're going to give up more points because your defense is going to play more plays. And math says, if you play more plays, you're going to give up more points. That side of it, of seeing the whole picture, that side of it, of of understanding how it all fits together is really, really important. And something I always carry with me. And 2013, we were top five in every major defensive category at Concord. In 2014, we were top five in every major offensive category. And I think a lot of what we wanted to do was find who our roster was, what were our strengths, let's play complementary football with one another, and ultimately, let's find the path to win games. Once we're able to do that, then that's how we're able to to scrap through and win and have some success.
1: You talked about when you're the head coach, you're further removed from ball. How much of being the head coach is as much about put it as simple as you set the tone, your vision for the team, how it looks, how it sounds, how it feels, how, et cetera. And that is as important as those things kind of override because they create the culture
2: Yeah, I I think the best way to put it is got to cast the vision for what you want your team to be, and it's up to your assistants to further cast that vision into the players so we can all understand what the big picture, what is our blueprint to win, and how are we going to do that? We knew at the university, or we knew at Concord University, uh, we'd always tell recruits, we're UCLA. They're like, no, you're not. I'm like, we're the University of Concord located in Athens. we're, We're UCLA. Just not the UCLA you're thinking of, but we knew that our plan at Concord it was the exact opposite of Miami. We were in the middle, we were at the top of the mountain, kind of isolated, not a lot around us. There's not a restaurant in town. It was a small town, small school. Wait, Casey said there was one pizza place. There was, yeah. I'm sorry, yeah, one pizza place. But we knew that for us to have success. Like the tough part was, it was going to be hard for us to sign good players. The good part about it was, is we knew the players that we signed, signed on for the right reasons. They signed on because they love football and they were passionate about playing football. And because there was nothing to do in the town, that's all they did (laughs) was they lifted weights, they played football, they enjoyed one another in that way. So we thrived on who we were. And I think it's important wherever you're at, find your niche, find what your strengths are and find how you as a program or wherever you're at can be the best you can be or be special or be the best at one thing better than anyone else. You mentioned before
1: that being at a smaller school, you were the head coach and the offensive line coach. You played for Rick Trickett. We'll just dub him old school. You run a new school offense now. Tempo, etc. cetera, all that stuff. I know obviously you were introduced to it with Rich Rod, but why did you ultimately gravitate to that's what
2: you want to be a part of? We always ran a certain style of offense or certain type plays. But how we played ultimately was decided on what the strength of our team was. Like I said, in 2013, we had a good defense, so we slowed it down and, and took care of the football and grinded out games. In 2014, we had some, some guys outside that could win, so we went real really fast, and we wanted to make it a track meet. And we changed our defense to be very attacking, very aggressive. We just wanted to get turnovers if you scored so be it. We're still going to get our 40. And, and early on, we just tried
1: to change tempo. Well, I guess, so I guess I'm I I moving past Concord. Maybe while you're there, you're learning, evolving, teaching. Obviously, as a coach, it's like, hey, this is going to be best for us today. But you've sort of gravitated to the style of play. So I was, as the evolution of your learning, education, and then philosophically what you believe in, sort of how you move to connected
2: to that style of play. It's hard from an offensive line standpoint to coach tempo if you've never been a part of tempo. And I always say it's it's easier to slow down than to speed up. You need to be able to operate as far as your individual periods, as far as your communication, it needs to be in such a way that you can always operate at a fast pace. You need to always be able to get lined up in a fast way. And having played in that, I think I have a a better understanding than most. We were able to do some when I was at Concord. We did it some with Travis our first year at FAU. We really got a lot faster with Kendall Briles and Lane, my second year at FAU. And I think it's something I've always been able to do. And now with Rhett, I think it's one of the reasons when when Rhett is trying to find, OK, who do I need to hire? The fact that I had that tempo, that no huddle background made it an easier sell or easier for him to to pull the trigger on that. Who were you learning from back then?
1: Like, were you a clinic guy? Are you like a junk film? Like, are you a guy that seeks information, seeks learning, seeks betterment? And, and if so, who were
2: people you were trying to
1: associate with?
2: I watched and went to the cool clinics. In Cincinnati, it's the national offensive line. Every year I was either going or getting the DVDs for that. Still was staying in constant contact with Coach Trickett. Would dig deep on YouTube and watch the old Alex Gibbs files of how to run the outside zone and and those things. But you're always just trying to grab one thing. We always say as a coach, you're looking at it like, okay, can I find one thing? Like, let me find one thing this year that's going to make me better. And sometimes, usually on the search for one, you find three to five.
1: Especially going down YouTube, that's a that's a never-ending rabbit hole.
2: Yeah, no no doubt. But um, especially when you're limited resources, that's what you have to do. And and that search for knowledge, that search for improvement, is something that you've always got to adapt. You've always got to change because the game is adapting and changing daily.
1: Five years. Why was that enough at Concord, head coach? Why was FAU the, the next spot? You know, why was it time to move on?
2: It's crazy how God leads you in, in different ways and puts you in different situations. And and in 2014, we went to the national semis with, with our group at Concord. And um, I remember at the end of the year, I'm about to lose a lot of my coaches for better opportunities. We have a lot of our roster intact. And you go to the administration and you say, I'm about to lose these guys. Is there anything we can do? We can possibly win it all next year. And when you get, it's like, coach, we're so thankful for you. And we wanted to be able to do things to help you, but we just don't have any means to do that. You look at it and it's hard not to get bitter. It's hard not to get a little resentful. And I let it ultimately carry over and affect my team the following year because you feel those ways instead of saying, okay, well, it is what it is. Let's make the most of it. So I think that along with the fact of, I'd always said my goal was to be a division one assistant coach. And One of my best friends gets an offensive coordinator job. and just so happens the O-line coach is leaving. So I think those things just kind of was a perfect timing of, hey, this is probably a good time. You need to go and take advantage of it. And I also was at a stage of my life where I wanted to keep growing. Not that I was the smartest guy in the room, but as a head coach, people are looking to you for their development. And I wanted to look to other people for my development because I knew I was nowhere where I needed to be and um, was fortunate enough to go work for Charlie Partridge who the way he was able to recruit and do those type things and our structure and, and a lot of those teams that Lane had success with was I mean a lot of credit can go toward charlie and and the work he did as far as assembling a great roster and then having a chance to get to work with travis and and the fact that it was in south florida all those things kind of made it a perfect storm of you got to go do this and and if you ever want to be a division one coach this is your chance you need to go grab it as a d2
1: head coach did you think it would happen like did you not not that you become a division one coach but did you think that that opportunity would happen that hey charlie partridge is going to hire me
2: that's kudos to him i'm I'm forever grateful to charlie for that because he's the one that has to go to his president and say that and there's a stigma with lower level coaches and and the fact of the matter is is there are great coaches and there are bad coaches on every single level and sometimes guys who are division two that or division three or high school those guys get stigmas for being bad coaches and it's like now they may have just not gotten their opportunity or they may be happy where they're at but you got to sort through who are the good coaches who are the bad coaches and in charlie's case and travis standing on the table they both thought i was very capable of the position and i'm forever grateful to those guys south florida your wife said you you guys liked it here
1: were you, was it appealing to you before you got here or you step footed in boca the sun's radiating down and you both are like no this this will work
2: we were comfortable where we're at uh, as far as our life in west virginia all those things the fact of a move was very scary to her she's born and raised too right yes and you you have a daughter who's less than a year i mean just a year old so that's a lot to pick up and move a family when her mom's two hours up the road my parents are two hours away and and all those things but Boca is a pretty good sell <laughs> it's it's not like I'm saying hey let's move to the middle of New Mexico it's this is a good opportunity oh and it's in Boca so the fact that it was in South Florida made it a lot easier sell and it made it an easier transition for us as a family
1: real quick Lane Kiffin keeps you Lane's got his external persona right but what's he like to work for?
2: He, you know, Lane was great to work for as far as day to day he he, he lets you do your job as long as you did a good job then he stayed out of your way if you didn't do a good job. He he told you, but he wasn't mean about it. And I made mistakes. There's times that he said, Hey, you need to do this or you need to do this a certain way. And but as far as hours, quality of life, he was great to work for. And the persona of him is that he's this outgoing, lively, talkative guy, life of the party. And Lane Kiffin would rather be in a room working a remote and watching film. And he's really a lot more social in those one-on-one intimate environments where it's just you and him or you and a couple coaches instead of this large crowd where it's a lot of people. And um, he's an interesting guy like that because he's so witty, so smart. His Twitter is as good of a follow as you'll come across, but who he is as a person is, is not what you think. And And it doesn't mean it's good or bad either way. It's just, it's just a little bit different. And Lane knows the value of marketing and how that helps his program and how it brings awareness to now Ole Miss uh, because people get excited about who he is and and the way he can market himself. What kind of offensive mind is he? He's brilliant. He he does a really, really good job. He does a nice job of being able to keep people off balance with changing of formational strengths and and pre-snap motions, things that sometimes seems simple but he can structure it in the right way to where it can give people fits and we were able to do it at fau with kendall bringing that tempo. because really because now this is who lane is is the tempo stuff but really that was that was all kendall briles like it was Kendall's system and then lane's like the mad scientist who's like well i don't like this i don't like that i don't like that. let me tweak it and let me kind of make it my own and now it's kind of what you saw really the last year at FAU and, and this year at Ole Miss was was kind of that hybrid of what I like offensively being Lane Kiffin with the tempo and the style of play that that the Baylor and the Browse bunch brought so
1: you leave to go to Arizona because of Rich Rodriguez former coach calls I have a job Probably hard to turn him down, except that probably doesn't work out quite the way you expected. So you could share that part of the story. And then my follow-up, which I'll just let you wrap into one, is what was going through your head when the bomb drops that you're about to tell?
2: So we have a really good year at Florida Atlantic. This is uh, 2017. We win the conference title. We have three first-team all-conference linemen. We set the single-season conference USA rushing record. As good of a year that an offensive line coach could have at Florida Atlantic university. So I'm feeling good about myself. I'm feeling good about life. I'm like, Hey, we've, we've got this thing figured out in a lot of ways. And, and rich has an opening and having conversations with with rich. And and he's like, I've kind of established the fact of, okay, I'm probably a good enough coach to coach for rich because of the success we just had. And he knew that I knew what he wanted to do. So it was a fit in a lot of ways. And so Rich offers me the job. I had accepted the job, but I finished out the bowl game with FAU. The game's on a Tuesday. On Friday, I fly to San Francisco to meet the Arizona Wildcats for their bowl game in San Francisco. Do the bowl site with them. Family comes out to the bowl site with them. Good time. enjoyment. It's like, okay, Tucson. Tucson's the next step. Had never been to the state of Arizona in my life. Rich says after the bowl game, hey, just go back home. You guys have got a couple weeks off. Before recruiting starts up in January, we'll fly you back. We'll get you on the road. We'll get things going. I'm just at home making recruiting calls for the Arizona Wildcats as the O-line coach. And um, January 2nd, I sit in my house in Boynton Beach, and um, I'm looking on Twitter like any coach does when they're halfway watching TV. And I see like three tweets in a row about Rich Rodriguez about to be fired at the University of Arizona. And I just look at my phone and Casey's like off to my right and I just grab the phone and just kind of like flip it on her lap. She looks at it and she's like, oh no, you, you got to call Lane. <laughs> like you, you got to get your spot back. And um, unfortunately we're just in a time where um, he was already in the process of, of moving on. And I went from having a job, feeling great about life, probably being a little too cocky about how good of a coach I actually was to being unemployed and looking for anything I can find to support my family. So all this happens in two weeks. So how did I feel? I never panicked, but it was humbling. Uh, I hated it for my family because in a lot of ways you can look at it and say that maybe my greed or maybe my willing or my wanting to just be successful or or keep climbing the ladder that that it hindered us or put us in a bad position as a family but ultimately i knew that we would be okay i'm never one to panic i didn't know how we were going to be okay i didn't know what the answers were going to be just like the wedding yeah because we're i'm still two years away being removed from being a division two coach so it's not like i'm that established in a lot of ways so it was scary for us it was it was a scary scary time for us but fortunately for us it was only only was only like a week week and a half went by before we we're able to or a couple of weeks went by before we were able to find something which took me to UNLV but um it was a humbling time and a time that really teaches a lesson of you're never as good as you think you are you're never as bad as you think you are on either side of it
1: although it really wasn't because that wasn't because of you
2: no, no, it wasn't, it wasn't something I did that, that caused the firing to occur, but at the end of the day, God has a way to humble you sometimes. And at the same time, I, I do think, looking back on it, I don't know if continuing to be with Coach Kiffin would have been the best thing for me, and I also don't know if continuing to be with Coach Rodriguez would have been the best thing for me. And uh, it's almost like the good Lord knew that hey, you need to get away from all networks. <laughs> you need to go in the desert for a couple of years and... Uh, Find some water. Yeah, and, and that's that's what happened. And, and um, it was a humbling experience. And, and and we're thankful for that experience now. Again, we don't want to go through it again, but we're, we're thankful for that. And uh, it's ultimately led us to a much better place. How come more offensive line coach are in OCs? It, it's a lot as far as dealing with all five guys plus trying to watch the secondary, those things, your, your end game adjustments to your offensive line, unless you have a GA that you really know and trust and feel great about. It's really hard for you as an offensive line coach to call plays and see how the secondary is playing and see what holes in the defense there are. And at the same time, Hey, left guard, make sure you do this. Like you just, your eyes are not talented enough to do that. And then being a play caller for me, it was my first year as a play caller and ne- never called plays before. And I'd gotten it in July of that year. So it's not like I had a whole off season to prepare for it.
1: Who'd you lean on? You had to call somebody or multiple people just to be like, give me the quick, you know, offensive play calling for dummies. Give me the,
2: give me the down low. You are scrambling in a lot of ways because you're, you're reading books. You're calling all of your buddies who are play callers and you're asking about how they organize their call sheet and how do you do this? and. It's like, oh, oh, yeah, by the way, we want you to try and run this exact same offense because that's what the kids know. That's what the kids at spring ball with. So so you're learning a little bit, too, right? Yeah. So, no, it, it was great for my growth. It was great for my growth. It was great for my development. And uh, I do feel like I got better and better as the year went along because I got those reps. But uh, unfortunately for us, it was too little too late. Did you like being the OC? I enjoyed it. But I enjoy being an offensive line coach more. And I just understand that in college football, you don't want to do both. Like I think if I'm coaching the tight ends and and calling plays, I don't think I would be as fulfilled as if I'm working with those guys every single day. So you just love coaching offensive line? I I do. And I I think the offensive line room is special. Just the chemistry and the bond of an offensive line. An offensive line room is brutal. I mean, if, if you have a hair that's in the wrong way, Guys are going to call each other out. It's a special group of guys, and that's any offensive liner. Any offensive liner I've been a part of, those guys are a great group of guys to be with, and I'm thankful that every stop I've been able to be a little bit of part of their bomb and a little part of that room.
0: Hi, Hurricane fans. Joe Zagacki here for UPS. Your customers want more from your business. You've got to make more happen, whether they're in Miami or on the other side of the world. Globally or locally, UPS is building solutions to help businesses give their customers exactly what they want. More made easy. UPS, official logistics company of Miami Athletics.
1: So who calls who about Miami? Who calls you first and says it's open
2: or you should apply or you need to talk or someone wants to talk? How does that come about? When we were at Florida Atlantic, and this was even when... When I was there with Coach Partridge, uh, Casey and myself, we were always say, you know, Miami's the goal. Miami the city or Miami the program? Both, all the above. Being the offensive line coach at the University of Miami is the goal. And at that time, Coach Rick had just gotten there and, and just seeing Coach Rick of what a great man he is as a person and how he how it felt like he treated his staff and how it felt like the environment was in that building. You're like, man, how good would it be the offensive line coach at Miami? Not that I was trying to kick Coach Searles out or anything, but you're looking at it and saying, man, what a great place that must be, because you're a place, it's it's a destination city. It's a job where you can win it all because they've done it in the past. And at the time, you're working for a great man in Mark Richt. So we had always, I don't want to say joke because it came true, but we'd almost talked about like, man, that'd be amazing to be the O-line coach at Miami. So at f- first and foremost, that was something that that we had cast a vision that we really, really wanted. That They've given a chance. We were going to beg still and borrow to try and <laughs> try and get to Miami and then it just so happened that there were a lot of different roads for that at the time we were going through a coaching change at UNLV and I didn't know if I was going to be retained I didn't know if I was not so you've got your ear to the ground on everything <laughs> you're, you're working phone lines you're doing whatever you can and it just so happens that Miami decides to make a change and Todd Stroud was at Florida State when I was a GA there and so Todd Stroud's a good friend of mine. Coach Diaz had come to visit us when he was at middle tennessee state and i had kept a relationship with coach diaz coach lashley and myself we knew of each other didn't know each other well but we had a lot of really really good mutual friends whom he trusted and whom would stand on the table for me and i think it was one of those situations where Rhett probably had three or four names and with probably coach stroud and coach diaz's ear and coach diaz have an awareness of the success we will have at fau and those type things and i continued to recruit south florida when i was you know the i had a little bit of a name in the area i think all of those things together whether i was number one on anyone's list or not it was probably the easiest name to agree upon and um, i was able to get the job and run with it and Thing is, is whether you're first on the list or, or last on the list or wherever you're on the list, it's your job to prove them right that they made the right decision. And, and uh, thankful for those guys every day that they entrusted me to be able to come here and be the offensive line coach at Miami. So where did you and Red hit it off philosophically? I think first and foremost, the tempo, knowing that we want to play fast and knowing that, that that's what we want to do. I know his, his systems have, have been based first and foremost on being able to have the ability to run the ball. And, of course, an offensive line coach, you're going to believe in that. And and more than anything, it's just the person he is. It's a guy that, hey, I I want to follow that guy because you know he's of good values. You know he's a family man. You believe in what he's doing because he has had success at multiple stops. And you just know that because he is such a good human being, you don't want to let that guy fail. We had six weeks or so together where it's – we're kind of living in his empty house before his family shows up. So you spend that time together and, and you start to develop that bond. And, and it's been a good friendship uh, as long as a good working relationship.
1: One of those six. So that's gotta be, in, that's a whole podcast, which I'm not going to, I won't do, I won't do that to you now. Believe me.
2: No, no, we're, I mean, it, it's, it's a lot of catching up. I mean, that's the thing when you take over a job, it's unfortunate that your family can't come right away, but even if they could, they never see you yeah, because you you're just trying to catch up with the job. who are we recruiting? What are we doing offensively? I don't even know my guys. I gotta like so you're just doing so much to try and just get going and get to where okay, now i I am comfortable with the day to day life of the job. You inherited a group that
1: year in 2000, let's see, from 19 to 20, right? It's well-documented. I want to get into all that. But what I want to know is how you wanted to approach them. You knew what you were getting into. And then we could even probably tag COVID on top of that because that changed everything. But you were having to, I think you've been mentioned this, you were as much psychologist as you were coach, right? Like you had to put the room back together before you even got into teaching football. How did you go about doing that?
2: Yeah, I think whenever you take a job. You ask the questions of, you start doing your research, just like, okay, what kind of success have they had? Who are the guys returning? Who have previously coached them? How were they being coached? What were they being taught? Who was it? All, all, you just, you're doing all those background, all those researches. And the thing that there was a common theme among all those guys coming back was, man, this is a group who has, it's a lot of guys who played probably before they were ready to play. They were thrust into position to where they're good players, they're talented players, but much like I talked about in recruiting, people probably made judgments about who they were as players before that was a fair enough assessment on them. And they felt that in a lot of ways, whether it was from how they've been coached, which I'm not familiar with how they've been coached to just the things they read. If they go on social media, they were an emotionally beat up group. And, and you can say like, well, that's not real, but that, that's very real in a lot of ways and and i saw a lot of guys in the room who were afraid to mess up you did see a group of guys who cared and so the the thing i wanted to establish with those guys is we're going to get you better but for us to get you better and i understand this is your third offensive line coach in three years you have to understand that i want to coach you this is something that whether you were here or not i've always wanted to coach University of Miami offensive lineman. this is a goal of mine this is where I want to be I'm not trying to leave I'm not trying to not be a part of what's going on I'm, I, I want to invest in you but for that investment to occur you've got to trust me you got to trust me you got to understand that I'm going to teach you the way we want to do things and it may disagree with the past but also find out um, what did coach Searles coach you what did coach Barry coach you okay yeah well I like that let's do that I don't like that. Let's try this, those type things. But I don't want to say kid gloves, but at the same time, I have a good enough ego or I'm strong enough in who I am. I don't need to come in and scream and yell and say, I'm the boss, I'm the boss. And, and, but trust me and make sure I continue to do the things like we talked about our players a while ago, that I continue to do things as a coach to make you further develop trust in me. And it's slowly of getting guys to talk and engage in meetings. Uh, that's the first steps is like, hey, talk, watch extra film, come to my office, spend time with me. Those things are, are all cornerstones to, let's start getting this thing going. Let's start getting a relationship because if our offensive line doesn't have success on Saturday, I'm a bad offensive line coach. If our guys have a lot of success on Saturday, they are great offensive linemen. Like understanding that, we're all in this together. I'm not against you. (laughs) I'm for you. (laughs) Because trust me, all of my goals, which are winning games, all those things go through those guys' ability to have success. And I think just continuing to establish that and then back it up with being able to give those guys knowledge of Oh, wow, coach is actually making me better. And I can see this. And coach does have my back and all those things starting to come through. Just slowly and slowly, we're able to just build that trust and um, get to where now I can't coach them the way I want to coach them. And uh, you can't write a handbook on COVID, but it almost forced us to be locked into these windows that we have on Zoom. And it removed the football, it removed things away, and it forced us to talk. It forced us to look at each other and say, who are you? What, what are different things in your life? What makes you you? Those type things, which really allowed us to get to the root of who they are as people, allowed them to open up, allowed us to all trust one another more. And hey, we got a long way to go. But um, the thing we say is we're not where we want to be, but thank God we're not where we used to be. And um, we're slowly, slowly digging out. And, and now we went from a room. It doesn't matter about what we're doing in the field right now, but we went from a room of guys who were down on themselves, who didn't carry themselves the right way, to confident, outgoing guys who are comfortable in their own skin. And ultimately, those guys will be the ones that will make more and more plays for us and help us win more games on Saturdays. Was it that tangible? The emotion, you said emotionally fragile, beat up, down. It was that tangible? I felt it when I went in the room. It's always a little awkward. Like you have that first team meeting in January and the head coach introduces you. Hey, I'm the new head I'm I'm your new O line coach. It's like, oh well let's break up to positions and let's go in a room and it's like this is your first impression. But at the same time, like what kind of impression do you want to put on? And you go in the room and you're trying to like make light, you're trying to make a joke. And usually even if it's a bad joke, you'll get a giggle. You'll get something make a joke, nothing like <laughs> like you, you start talking, no responses. So then it's like, Hey, Corey Gaynor, your courier. I recruited you when I was at Florida Atlantic before Miami offered. And it starts like that. Hey, Jalen rivers. I remember watching you walk around Oakleaf high school as an eighth grader and thinking, who is this dad picking up their kid? <laughs> like Kai Herbert. I remember I watched you practice and hanging out when I was hanging out with coach Spiva. So I, again, I think having those relationships from, from being at Florida Atlantic allowed me to to know some of those kids a little bit, but uh, also it took diving in with them and getting them to open up, forcing them to talk. I didn't want to lecture them. I, it wanted to be like, Hey, what do you think of this? What's your opinion on that? Zlante hillary what could he have done better you ask those questions and force those guys to open up make a joke get guys to laugh at each other like we had to do those type things to just get to where we can now function and we can operate as a family because families get along but families also argue sometimes and we got to be comfortable enough to be able to freely speak our opinion and instead of like if i go on a wall and i'm writing something where I say something on a film and they're a little bit confused about it, they need to be comfortable enough to speak up like, Coach, I don't understand what you're talking about. Instead of in the past, it was a lot of, hey, you guys get that? And it was just, uh-huh, silence. That, that means I don't get any of it. Correct. And I think that's some of what we saw on film the previous year. And it's not anyone's fault. It's just a situation of probably those guys being thrust into that too early. And three different coaches, three different coaching styles, three different offenses. Just kind of a perfect storm. That, And then the fact that they didn't have success. Their teammates are probably saying, you guys are terrible and and everything together. And that's why you get what you get. And um, all it took was just someone to breathe some life back into them. Manny mentioned that,
1: you know, the offensive line sometimes is looked at in a vacuum, good or bad, but it's attached to system scheme, what's being asked of them. So how is whatever you guys are doing, helping that group?
2: I think the one thing we do, I mean, just coming from red system to what they were doing the previous year, we're asking them to remember less, but we're, we're allowing them now to, Hey, we have three to five run plays. And on those three to five run plays, you I, I know For an offensive tackle, he needs to do 10 skills, roughly 10 to 12 skills to be a successful offensive lineman in our system. So now, as a coach, all I need to worry about is the 10, 12 skills and rep those 10, 12 skills. And now the learning, it's not, man, I got to learn all these checks and I got to learn this play and all these different plays. It's, hey, you need to get your eyes here. You need to take this step. You need to use this fundamental. You need to make this call. So it's allowing us to get better at the few amount of plays we have instead of trying to just learn everything and not really be a master of any of those. And um, I think that's allowed those guys to have some confidence because they have been getting better at the few amount of plays that we have. And anytime you show a little bit of success, more confidence comes along with that, more trust comes along with that. And then I think the longer and longer we went, of course, we had some setbacks, different games, but all in all, it's snowballing in the right direction to where success confidence success confidence more confidence more success and now uh it's snowballing more and more to to where we can hopefully manifest ourselves to score more points and run the ball more effectively this fall i think i
1: asked Rhett this how do you not add more how do you fight not adding more we can do this let's add this hey what is this you know what i mean like how do you keep it simple how do you stay to your core
2: yeah and i think that's where you need to have people keep you in check and as as a play caller and i think you go back you talk about the perspectives of being a head coach also the perspective of an offense coordinator as well i think that's allowed me to be an asset to Rat, and the fact of i can say you don't need this you're fine like because as a play caller you don't want to go to a game and feel like you don't have enough you want to use all the bullets in your gun and you don't want to go into your game sometimes with three shots in your gun when you think you could possibly have 12 and 12 could help you win but it takes i think sometimes assistance saying you don't need that. And also saying, this is our system. This is who we are. This is what we do. Now let's find ways to do what we do into that game plan. I think that's what's got to carry you It's we're going to run the same plays, but it's just going to be packaged or presented differently each and every week. But it's hard. It's really, really hard. And, and there were some games last year where we tried to get a little fancy and probably got us and and there were some games where we may have been too vanilla or too bland and it got us. So you're always trying to find that balance, but you got to know who you are. The, the best teams have tendencies. You know, if you're playing a Mike Leach team, they are going to run Mesh. They're going to run wide cross you, you know, certain teams or certain people are going to have those tendencies if they're good at what they do. So we want to make sure we do have tendencies and then we want to play off of those tendencies with our counters.
1: Manny said a fast offense can only go as fast as their offensive line. Is that what you two alluded to before about knowing how to coach an offensive line in a tempo offense?
2: Yeah, I think so. Um, well, I know so. that That's something that it's weird because I'm, I'm like, Kind of give myself a compliment, but that's something if you had to say, what are one of your strengths as a coach, other than just X and O's and relations, that type of stuff, it is my guys have the ability to line up and play fast. That's something that that we've been able to do at multiple stops that I've been at is is line up fast and play and function. But yeah, it takes, I think having that background has been what's allowed me to do that.
1: It sounds like collaboration and relationships are really important to this staff you to your offensive line room, you as the offensive line coach in the offensive staff meeting room, or even as a staff collectively. Is that true?
2: And why does that work now? What we always say as coaches, every coach is going to tell you what to do. Even when you're in Little League, they're going to tell you what to do. Most good coaches are going to tell you how to do it. Uh, I think the really good coaches tell you why. I think once guys understand that knowledge, that that deeper knowledge of why we're doing this, it increases buy-in. I think because of that collaboration, you're kind of able to establish the why with the collaboration. So the collaboration that establishes a why increases buy-in, increased buy-in, makes better practices, better practices, make better games, uh, so on and so forth. And I think everyone feels that they have a part in that success. Now, the fine line is, is everyone needs to know who's in charge. And I know we're, we're talking like hugs and cuddles and all this type of stuff, and at the end of the day, what we're going to do is is tough. What we're going to do is hard nose But if air King likes something, he feels comfortable enough to tell Coach Lashley that. If, if Corey Gaynor says he's more comfortable doing this in the game plan, then I'm going to make sure Coach Lashley knows that because at the end of the day, those are the guys that have to execute the plays. Those are the guys that have to have success on Saturdays that we need to win.
1: Mandy's also talked about harmony. I don't know what the word I am You know what I mean? Like fit on the staff right? That you and Rhett get along, the relationship, right? Like you talked about Coach Trickett. It was a different kind of relationship. It's a different vibe, maybe. I don't know if that's the right word or not, but I feel like it's being built differently in 2021 in the sense of the culture you're creating. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And I think
2: the number one quality you need to have as an assistant coach is the ability to get along. <laughs> and you need to be able to work well with others and it doesn't matter how you are uh, and how you're built or how smart you are if you don't work well with others you're not very good this is a team game I think the thing that's helped with Rob Likens and myself is we both came from situations where we were the offensive coordinator and we do understand the stress and the load that Rhett has on his plate but we are qualified enough to be able to give good input and give good feedback because we've been in those shoes, to have to call those plays. So it's allowed us to not be the coach who said, man, why didn't Rhett call that on third and day? Can you believe he called? Like, no, man, like, it's a tough job. And I think me and Rob, in a bigger sense, we're like, calling plays is cool and all, but I miss just being responsible for those guys. And I know Rob would say, I miss just being responsible for the wideouts. And let me just pour into those guys and let me be the best assistant as I can for Rhett. And I think in Rob's case and in Rhett's case, like we're all living together (laughs) those six weeks. And and, um, it allows us to, or we're all hanging, Rhett, Rob wasn't with us, but we're all forced to be together. And we're all like-minded in a lot of ways. We come from different backgrounds, but we all have a lot of similar values. And um, it's kind of been a perfect storm in a lot of ways, as far as how we get along. What's it like as a team, as a program, as a offensive coach, as an offensive line coach, to
1: have a quarterback the team believes in, to have a guy like the Eric King in this instance?
2: It's the only chance you have. And Eric is such a special person on and off the field. The biggest compliment that you could give him is the fact that he came in January, and it's the same thing you were talking about us as coaches or, or me trying to get buy-in in the offensive line. Is He comes in January. We have six weeks of workouts and start spring ball. Pandemic hits. He comes back in August, and he's our team captain. And and it's a guy who is not overly vocal. It's not a guy who's over the top as far as his attitude or personality, but you just see him working the room. You see everyone gravitate toward him. And I can't speak on who he is as a player because it's Coach Lashley's job, but we all know as offensive linemen and in our room, there's a lot of trust in that guy because of who he is first and foremost as a person. Uh, because they see how he lives his life and uh, he's a guy that they all want to follow
1: so we set a record we we set a record one first cameo by your significant other so i appreciate that i think we probably just broke the record for recording time in a a studio
2: session so uh, you said you were excited when we before we did it i hope you're still as excited that we did it now this has been great i feel like i'm on howard stern you know what i mean it's like open forum and let's go
1: i didn't go quite down the road that howard stern might have gone with you but uh i don't i just naturally curious man and, and enjoy doing it and i like i like to to get the best out of everybody and let you guys share your story and get people to know who you are so uh, i appreciate it you were great thank you and uh get some sleep and if something goes bad tomorrow at the office let tell manny it was my
2: fault <laughs> oh it's all good josh Now I really enjoyed it, and like I said, you're doing good work, and this is something that I was glad to be a part of. All right, buddy, have a good night. We'll talk soon, all right? All right, Josh, thank you.